0: Just off the coast of Northern Ireland, on the lonely island of Rathlin, there was a man lying on a makeshift bed inside of a small cave. This was in the year 1306, and the man was Robert the Bruce. He was king of Scotland, but his army had been defeated by the English army, and Robert had been forced to go into hiding on this island. He was devastated about the losses that he and his army had suffered, He'd battled the English and their allies six times in all six times they had been defeated. As Robert lay in the cave, he was very discouraged and considered giving up, but suddenly his eye was caught by some movement on the ceiling of the cave. It was a spider. The creature was hanging by a silky thread of webbing from one part of the rocks. And it was trying to swing itself over to a nearby protrusion of rock so that it could attach its thread there and spin a web. Robert watched the spider try to swing itself over, but it failed. And then it tried a second time and failed again. It tried a third time and then a fourth and then a fifth and a sixth. And each time the swing came up a little bit short and the spider couldn't connect its thread to that other part of the rock. Robert thought to himself, I've fought against England six times and failed each time. This spider has failed to land its swing six times. But if it succeeds on the seventh, I'll get out of this cave and try to lead Scotland to victory once again. Well, the spider swung itself with all its strength, and on that seventh attempt, it succeeded. Robert the Bruce was inspired. He sat up, he cast off his despair, and he soon called his army back together. They went to war against the English once again for Scotland's independence, and after a few years of fighting, at the Battle of Bannockburn in 1314, Robert's forces defeated the English in a landmark of Scottish history. There is some debate about whether the spider part of that story is history or just legend. But in either case, it gives us a chance to consider what people can learn from insects and arachnids, and to realize how worthwhile it can be for us to take notice of these tiny creatures, as Robert the Bruce apparently did. And really, how worthwhile it can be for us to take notice of all the various details of the natural world. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1 verse 20 that by examining aspects of nature, we can gain precious insight into the divine mind that created it all. So on this episode of The Sun Also Rises, here on KPCG-FM, we will take a look at some buzzing, winged, armored, and leggy aspects of the natural world. I'm Jeremiah Jacques, and I'm excited about putting some insects under the magnifying glass today so that we can consider a few lessons that we can learn from them. The life of a queen bee begins just like those of the other 30,000 bees in her hive. She starts off as an egg, just about half the size of a grain of rice. The egg is laid inside a cell of honeycomb, and three days later she hatches from the egg as a tiny white legless larva. She's exactly like all the other bees at this phase. Molecular biologist Reisard Maleska has done extensive research into honeybees at Australian National University in Canberra. And in a recent interview with ABC, he confirmed this fact. He said, quote, the larvae that develop into workers and queens are genetically identical, End quote. So in the beginning, all the larvae are exactly the same. But if we skip forward a few weeks, the queen is an insect starkly different. From the ordinary worker bees. She's so different, she's hardly even recognizable as the same species. First, there's stature. The queen grows to almost twice the worker bee's size. And then there's the lifespan. The workers generally live for seven weeks or less, but queens can live for up to seven years. That's a life 50 times longer. And then the most significant difference of all is that unlike all those tens of thousands of sterile worker bees, the queen can reproduce. After being fertilized just one time, she lays up to 3,000 eggs per day and around 2 million in the course of her lifetime. So she really expands the family. Since the larva that became the queen had absolutely no genetic advantage, over the other thousands of larvae, what accounts for these differences later in life? Why is there such a huge difference in size? Why is there such a huge difference in lifespan? And why is the queen alone able to populate the hive? What is it that makes the queen become queen? For the answer, we have to back up to that phase that we skipped, the time just after she hatches from her egg. At this early stage, all the larvae are the same. Each of those tiny, legless little creatures could become either a worker or a queen. And the factor that makes all the difference is what they eat. For the first three days after hatching, all the larvae are fed the same thing. It's a milky, protein-rich substance called royal jelly. But after those three days are up, their diets become completely different. The thousands of larvae that will grow up to become worker bees are switched to a diet consisting mostly of honey, and they never eat royal jelly again. But the one that's selected to become queen continues to be fed royal jelly and only royal jelly for the rest of her incredibly long life. That's what makes a queen. The sole factor that elevates her to that position of majestic royalty is her diet of royal jelly instead of the usual diet of honey. Knowing God's intention to use the details of physical creation to deepen our spiritual understanding, as the Apostle Paul wrote about there in Romans 1.20, we can be sure that there are some spiritual parallels to draw from this. This royal jelly phenomenon actually contains some fascinating parallels to the way God converts human beings into spiritual royalty. The central lesson is this. If a person is to become a royal member of God's family, he or she must live on a daily diet of God's royal truth. Like honeybee larvae, people all begin in a very humble state, and all with the same potential. Some Bible passages even compare mortal man to worms, very much like those young bee larvae. You can see Job 25, verse 6 as an example of one of those. There are also some very inspiring scriptures, such as Ezekiel thirty-seven fourteen, that tell us that after the return of Jesus Christ, just about everyone who's ever lived will be given access to a diet of God's royal truth, spiritual royal jelly, you could call it. At that future time, the vast multitudes will be given the opportunity to live on this diet and to be transformed from worms into members of the royal God family. What a future that will be. But the modern day reality is quite different. Genesis chapter 3 shows that after the rebellion of Adam and Eve, God cut off mankind as a whole from accessing the tree of life. That's somewhat analogous to the way the vast majority of those squiggly little bee larvae are cut off from accessing royal jelly. But the Bible shows that God does select and call a few people at this early phase in his plan to already begin eating a continuous diet of what you could call spiritual royal jelly. John 15 verse 19 talks about this, and also Matthew 13, 10 through 11. And those few may eat from the tree of life now and live even now on what Deuteronomy 8, 3 calls Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the eternal. In John 6, Jesus Christ referred to himself as the bread of life. We can liken his teachings and his truth to spiritual royal jelly. Only those who consume it in an attitude of humility and live on it and understand it with God's miraculous help can become his royal kings and queens. Acts 17.11 even says that those who search the scriptures daily and receive the word with all readiness of mind, in other words, the people who eagerly eat God's spiritual royal jelly every day, it says that they're more noble than those who are not serious about personal Bible study. This is a beautiful parallel to the way eating royal jelly turns an ordinary bee larva into a more noble royal queen. People who God calls out to live on a diet of His royal truth, and who search the scriptures daily, and who God gives His miraculous understanding to, can undergo changes that parallel some of those of the larva that's fed royal jelly. We'll get to those specific parallels soon, but first let's examine how royal jelly differs from honey. Honey is made from sugar-rich plant nectar. It's generally golden in color and anyone who's eaten it knows that it's very sweet and pleasant tasting. But royal jelly is different. It's derived from pollens, which are the very potent male part of the flower. After worker bees eat those pollens, they react with some of their glands and are then secreted from the tops of their heads in the form of royal jelly. And unlike honey, the taste of royal jelly is strong and bitter. So I think that the parallel here is that the education, the literature, and especially the entertainment of this world, it's all generally sweet to the taste. It's, it's quite easy to consume it day in and day out. And this honey of life is what most people live on in terms of what they feed their minds. But God's Word, on the other hand, His teachings and His truth are not immediately sweet to the human senses. People need to exert effort to study scripture so that God can work in us and give us refined spiritual senses and discerning minds. Only then can we thoroughly appreciate God's strong-tasting royal truth and grow into royalty from it. The Apostle Paul wrote on this subject, saying, Strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's in Hebrews 5. Verse 14, and it's basically saying that by reason of use or with diligent work, we come to enjoy the strong meat that is God's royal truth. Mr. Gerald Flurry is the host of the Key of David program here on KPCG-FM, and he's also a prolific writer. In his book called The Key of David, he writes about how diligently a called-out person must labor in Bible study so that God can exercise our spiritual senses to a degree that lets us appreciate and understand his royal truth. He writes, quote, It is not easy to grasp the full magnitude of what God's offering to all mankind. It takes great effort on our part to understand what God has revealed. End quote. So anyway, that's, uh, it's another interesting parallel there between the physical and the spiritual. And a moment ago we mentioned that living on a diet of royal jelly makes a queen bee grow to about twice the size of the ordinary worker bees. And another fascinating parallel is that if people consume a diet of God's royal truth, it can similarly boost the size of our capacity for true wisdom and understanding, but actually to far more than twice the usual size. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. I understand more than the ancients. Why did the writer of this psalm have such a capacity for understanding? Well, in in verse 99, he says, For God's testimonies are my meditation. So the psalmist who wrote that was consuming and digesting God's royal diet every day. And the result was... Astounding growth in the capacity of His wisdom and understanding. When a bee eats royal jelly, it grows to twice the size of the normal bees. If we eat a diet of God's royal truth and consume a portion of it in Bible study each day, in a humble attitude, and if God gives us His help to understand it, then we too will experience remarkable growth in our knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. The second difference between queen bees and worker bees that we mentioned earlier is the length of their lives. Queen bees often live more than 50 times longer than ordinary worker bees, but people who hunger after God's royal truth can be given the gift of life that never ends. John chapter 6 records Jesus Christ speaking about the everlasting life available to those who eat his royal diet. In verse 27, he says, labor not for the meat which perishes but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life which the son of man shall give unto you so christ here says if you eat god's royal diet you know if you labor to study god's truth and to eat the bread of life then you can live forever when it comes to lifespans what a difference this makes for queen bees it's a difference between living 7 weeks and living 7 years but for people It's the difference between living seven decades or for eternity. The last parallel that I'll mention here is about the queen bee's reproductive ability. This feature of the queen is more significant than her large size or her longer lifespan, and that's because the queen is the only bee in the hive. That hive of thousands and thousands. She's the only one who is able to bring new babies into the family. The spiritual parallel here is found in Isaiah 56 5, which says the people who respond to God's call to eat his royal diet at this early phase in his plan will have a name better than sons and daughters. What is this name and position that's higher than that of sons and daughters? It's the name mothers. God's royal firstfruits will become mothers, they will become a queen bride working alongside God to bring forth many, many children into the eternal God family. The number of spiritual children will be actually far more than the two million offspring that those queen bees can bring into their hives. Looking at honeybees and the way queens come about should inspire us and motivate us to continue eating the royal bread of life. It should help us to be committed to studying our Bibles daily, in the right attitude of humility, so that God can reveal His truth to us. It should motivate us to eat that precious truth daily so that we can grow into spiritual royalty. This is The Sun Also Rises here on KPCG-FM. Today we're putting some insects under the magnifying glass just to see what life lessons we can learn from them. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Sun Also Rises radio show and podcast. And thank you for listening today. To be a human being can be humbling. For someone enduring a health trial or the natural deterioration in the winter years of life, this is especially easy to see. But even people in the prime of life have to sleep one-third of their lives away. We have to eat. We make mistakes. We forget so much. We're confined to this one little planet. And on top of that, we all know that we will die. So there are plenty of reasons to feel lowly, as human beings, but we don't have to be discouraged about it. Regardless of the state of our physical bodies, we can be greatly inspired knowing that we don't have to remain this way. In his physical creation, God gives us numerous examples of life that begins lowly and unimpressive, but it ends up transformed into something really majestic. And one of the most dazzling examples is the insect that you hear fluttering in the background here. That's the monarch butterfly. That sound was recorded in Angangio, Mexico, by a blogger named Cat Allen. There were so many monarchs gathered there that the sound of their fluttering wings was clearly audible. But when a monarch first comes into being, it doesn't have wings. It's not just a smaller, scaled-down version of the adult. Instead, it starts out as a creature drastically different. It starts off as a worm. More specifically, as a tiny worm-like caterpillar larva. The larva stays on the plant where he was hatched, and he is essentially stuck. He can crawl around the plant slowly, but his world is very tiny. He can't really see anything or go anywhere. He's confined. The caterpillar's main job during this lowly two-week phase is to become fat, so he eats the leaves of the milkweed plant, almost nonstop. By the end of those two weeks, he will have increased his body weight not by three times, not even by 300 times, but by 3,000 times. He's 3,000 times heavier than when he hatched two weeks earlier. Before the caterpillar can undergo its drastic transformation and its rebirth, it has to have this period of steady growth. This is analogous to part of the conversion process of a Christian. A person has to grow and grow, and work toward becoming perfect, as Christ said in Matthew 5:48, before he can undergo the momentous transformation. So people have to be growing, adding to our spiritual weight, just like these caterpillars. After two weeks of eating as much as possible, the larva will have grown into a caterpillar around two inches long. And he then attaches himself to a twig, molts his outer skin, and makes kind of a shell around himself called a chrysalis. Inside the chrysalis, the creature enters a state of inactivity. There's no eating, no growing. He just sleeps deeply. In 1 Corinthians 15, 35 and 36, the Apostle Paul writes, Someone may ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. That's from the New International Version, and the Bible says that all men die, which you can read in Hebrews 9:27. But Scripture also often calls death sleep. In the big picture, from God's point of view, a human being's death could be compared to that caterpillar going into its chrysalis and entering a state of temporary inactivity or sleep. For the caterpillar, that state of inactivity doesn't last long. After about 12 days inside the chrysalis, the creature emerges, and it looks nothing like the lowly, unimpressive looking caterpillar that it once was. It emerges from that chrysalis transformed into one of nature's most beautiful and capable insects. It's not confined to a little plant anymore. Now it can gracefully fly. The monarch butterfly is actually on the really exclusive list of creatures capable of making transatlantic crossings. They can fly for thousands of miles. Occasionally, they even make it all the way to New Zealand or Australia from North America. In our physical bodies, we're greatly limited. We sometimes struggle through days, weeks, and months, just barely eking out a living. We're weak, and we battle fatigue and illness. And it's very humbling, but there is a time in the future when the majority of people will undergo a momentous metamorphosis from lowly physical beings to radiant, incorruptible spiritual beings. Paul also wrote about this, continuing on in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, quote, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body, and as we've borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. What a dramatic transformation. The material creation of man is only our first phase. It's the caterpillar phase. Right now the worm has to eat and grow, and many of us will have to go into the chrysalis for a little while. But if we yield to God, he will convert us into a finished spiritual masterpiece. The majestic butterfly, the spirit being. So I think studying the metamorphosis of the monarch can give us a lot of inspiration and a lot of hope. But this analogy breaks down at a certain point, And that's because when the butterfly emerges, it only lives for a few weeks. But spirit beings will live forever. That makes that spiritual metamorphosis far greater than the change of the monarch butterfly. Go to the ant, consider her ways. That's what Proverbs chapter six tells people to do. This is one case where the Bible specifically tells us to examine a certain insect in order to draw life lessons from that part of God's creation. And the passage there in Proverbs 6 is mostly about encouraging people to emulate the work ethic of ants, and to be industrious, even if you're not being supervised. But there's something else about ants that is also worth considering, which we'll talk about for this final short segment. And that is the way ant colonies have memories that their individual ants don't have. Biologist Deborah Gordon specializes in ants, and she wrote about this in December she wrote quote, a redwood ant colony remembers its trail system leading to the same trees year after year although no single ant remembers it. In the forests of Europe during the long winter the ants huddle together under the snow. When the ants emerge in the spring an older ant goes out with a younger one along the older ant's habitual trail. The older ant dies." And the younger ant adopts that trail as its own, thus leading the colony to remember or reproduce the previous year's trails. And then she writes, quote, past events can alter the behavior of both individual ants and ant colonies. Dr. Gordon's article on this topic is really interesting and detailed, and you can find a link to that in our show notes on SoundCloud. And I think it is worth going to the ant in considering this because the Bible has quite a lot to say about the importance of passing valuable knowledge on to the next generation. You can see that in Deuteronomy 4, 9, and many other passages, and there's great value in being able to learn vicariously through the experience of others, rather than having to personally and often painfully experience everything ourselves. Well, that brings us to the end of The Sun Also Rises here on KPCG-FM. If you have questions or comments, please send those to tsar at kpcg.fm. And we'll leave you today with some words from Mr. Joel Hilliker from his book, Speak for God. The physical realm is a product of a spiritual mind. God created the physical realm as a means of leading us toward and preparing us for eternal life in His family. Thus we exist in a kind of lab, a gigantic classroom packed with specific elements that illuminate spiritual truth and the mind that originated everything, intended to point human beings toward God. Every detail of it ultimately serves this purpose.